You can turn with me then to our sermon text for today, which is in Genesis chapter 4. It's also in the sermon insert on the back. Genesis chapter 4, verses 17 through 26. Last week we looked at uh, the account of Cain and Abel and how uh, the, these two sons of Adam and Eve uh, had gone different ways, how Cain had killed his brother Abel, even though Abel had done what was uh, right by trusting in the Lord and coming to him with uh, acceptable worship uh, through faith. Now let's listen to what happens next in Genesis chapter 4, verses 17 through 26. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other, Zillah. Ada bore Jabal, he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of those, all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubalcain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubalcain was Naama. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son, and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time people began to call upon the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray for God's blessing upon his word. Lord God, we pray that you would bless us through your word this day, for it is good, for it is the light that you have granted to us, a revelation of your deeds and of your will. We pray that you would assist our memories to hold these things in mind, to understand them well, to act upon them by faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 4, verses 17 through 26, the passage that we're looking at today, describes what I would call the development of the city of man in the city of God. Uh, In other words, it describes how the the offspring of the woman, the offspring of the serpent, become communities. Uh, We saw them uh, develop last time with two individuals, Cain and Abel, Uh, but now as we see um, Cain and and Seth have have sons, they uh, build communities, that Cain founds a city, uh, that the people of Seth uh, be, begin, begin to call upon the name of the Lord, uh, we find the development of, of, we might call them two cities, two communities uh, in this passage. In verse 17, it mentions how Cain has a son and how he builds a city and names it after his son. That's a little confusing because his son's name is Enoch, and there's going to be another Enoch 
who is a descendant of Seth, but there are two different Enochs. Uh, this one is a son of Cain. It then lists the line of Cain down to one of his descendants, uh, Lamech. Uh, Lamech was uh, a polygamist or a bigamist. He had two wives, not one. Uh, his sons pioneered culture, uh, the agriculture and music and blacksmithing. And he also uh, boasted of his cruelty. The second poem that we have here in the Bible, the first one was Adam delighting in his wife, but this one's a little different. He's boasting in his violence and his vengeance. But then we have something a little different. We go back to Adam uh, and Eve, so we back uh, in time a little bit uh, to the birth of Seth and a new line of offspring given by God to replace Abel uh, to carry on his heritage as Eve recognizes in, in naming Seth. And then verse 26 mentions how, just as Cain had a son and built a city, now Seth has a son, and true religion is revived and publicly practiced by a people. Um, The church seemed to have been uh, dispersed or destroyed. I mean, Abel was killed and Cain apostatized, but uh, God raises up those who will call upon him and give him praise and worship. And so we find that at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And so there are two lines, two groups, the line of Cain, the line of Seth. Of course, there were others too. They weren't the only children of Adam and Eve. He had other sons and daughters, um, and of course, providing wives as well for these sons at that time, that being all of humanity that was on the earth. Uh, But all humanity followed the ways of either one group or the other, either aligning with Uh, Cain or aligning with Seth. The city of man found expression in a literal city named Enoch in the land of Nod, built by a rebellious outlaw. The city of God was made up of the people of Seth. And these two cities, these two kingdoms, we might call them, continue to develop then throughout human history from this point. Uh, Today, they're not separated by city walls, It's not like, you know, Wentzville's part of one and Lake St. Louis is part of the other. They're not um, earthly cities. Uh, It's more of a metaphor for two groups uh, who are radically different and have different approaches to life. Everyone is a member of one and only one of these two groups. Uh, These groups are separated by man's rebellion and God's grace. Uh, What I mean by that is all rebellion, sorry, all mankind fell into rebellion, uh, participates in Adam's rebellion until God's grace intervenes, uh, as he had promised in chapter 3, separating a people from that uh, rebellious community, placing enmity between them. The one city is hostile to God, the other one has been converted by God and is hostile to sin. Um, Augustine, early church father in around the year 400, Uh, lived in a time of great unrest. Um, Literally, the barbarians were outside his city gates. Rome had fallen. There was a lot of turmoil amidst earthly cities. And he wrote a book called The City of God. And it's a rather large book, but it traces the development of these two cities throughout uh, biblical and human history. And this is the way he describes the difference Uh, He says, accordingly, two cities have been formed by two loves. The earthly city by the love of self, even to the contempt of God. The heavenly city by the love of God, 
even to the contempt of self. The former, in a word, glories in itself. The latter, glories in the Lord. For the one city seeks glory from men, but the greatest glory of the other is God, the witness of conscience. The one lifts up its head in its own glory. The other says to God, thou art my glory and the lifter up of mine head. And I think what Augustine describes there is borne out well in our passage. What uh, marks the city of Cain and his descendants? It is Lamech praising himself and his might and his power. Look at me, you wives of Lamech, and see my great vengeance and power, which is even greater than God's vengeance for Cain. But the people of Seth, they call upon and exalt the name of the Lord, not their own might. Cain and Lamech were marked by anger and murder and pride. But Abel and the people of Seth, what are they marked by? The same thing, the worship of God. And so fallen man, rebellious man, is building his, his Babel, his city, in rebellion. But at the same time, God is at work building his people, building his city on the earth, a heavenly city unto his glory. And so the lesson here is to abandon the city of man and its rebellious ways. Also, we'll see there's a lesson to appreciate the natural gifts that God has distributed among both cities. And then finally, to unite with the city of God and its godly ways. So first, let's look at the city of man. Abandon it. Flee from the city of destruction, as Pilgrim in Pilgrim's Progress uh, hears. Wrath is coming. Come out from among them and be separate. This is what God says. This is not a call to retreat from American society. America is not the city of, God, or city of man, uh, per se. Uh, but it is a call to renounce and to abandon the domain of darkness, what we might call the world, the flesh, and the devil. You yourself individually are called to repent, to turn, to reorient yourself, uh, to renounce membership in that club. Uh, to renounce your privileges, to renounce your, your membership, to desert that army and to turn coat, and then to put to death what sin remains in you. The church also has a call to abandon the city of man, to be holy and consecrated to the Lord. The church, as Paul says, ought not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So there's no place in the church for idols, for heresies, for lawlessness, for false teachers, The church is called to be holy, and it pursues that through the means of grace, through uh, sanctification, through church discipline. The church is to be set apart from the rebellion of mankind. The city of man is formed, as Augustine said, by the love of self to the contempt of God. In verse 17, we find that Cain builds a city. He names it after his son. Uh, He does not turn from his evil ways. He does not turn back to God, but he seeks to hold on to as much as he has. Even though he knows his day will come, he seeks to still establish a legacy on earth by naming his city uh, and naming it after his son. Uh, He might be compared with the builders of Babel, who are going to later build a city and a tower, saying, let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed. 
Cain was also here like those of whom Psalm 49 speaks, those who trust their wealth. That psalm notes how these men called lands by their own names. They had this prosperity and were able to put their names on the earth. These men may prosper for a time, boasting of power and wealth, but that same psalm goes on to say that man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. It is a blessing to be honored and remembered by future generations, but it's a cold and uncertain comfort to those who are under God's judgment. It's not wrong to have a city named after you, but it's a vain thing while you're under God's wrath. And it's a futile replacement for his blessing. Be more concerned that your name is written and remembered in heaven forever than to have a city named after you on earth, to have your plaque on some statue somewhere. And do not envy the wicked if they receive that prominence in their life. If they get the statues in their honor, if they get the cities named after them, they stand in slippery places and their only reward is in this life. And that is soon gone. The Lord lifts up. The Lord tears down. And that's even true in this life. Even in this life, that reward is uncertain. Think of this. Cain may have been famous for a time among his descendants, but it was all wiped out by the flood. He's now infamous. He is not uh, highly regarded by anyone, I think. Not even the earthly prominence of the wicked is lasting. So do not strive to exalt yourself, for no one can guarantee his legacy. Commit that unto the Lord. Humble yourself before the Lord, that he might exalt you in his time. In the Lord is true security. But not only did Cain build a city, but things even get intensified in the life of his descendant, Lamech. Verse 19 describes how he practiced a polygamy. That means being married to more than one woman at the same time. He didn't have one wife like Adam did, but he had two. But monogamy, which is being married to one wife, that is God's design. We saw that back in Genesis 2. How did God make man? He made him male and female, and he made one man and one woman for each other, that they too might be one flesh. Marriage is to be between one man and one woman, who are bound together as one flesh until death uh, separates them. And of course, man wasn't made to die in the, in, in the beginning, but if that's the way it works now. The two of them become one flesh, and they belong exclusively to one another. They don't get to add someone else to that bond. And so polygamy uh, is a rebellious deviation from his design. There's other deviations from his design. Man has found many ways to commit sexual immorality, uh, to disrupt his standard that he ordained. Historically, polygamy has been practiced by powerful men, not only because of lust, uh, but also out of an excessive desire for power, uh, for wealth, and for status. Um, 
because if you had more wives than one, you can have more children, which means more workers and more uh, the, who can extend your household and uh, be your heirs. You can also do more alliances through more marriages, as Solomon did, bringing in wives from other countries. Uh, you could, it was also a status symbol of wealth and prestige. And this is still practiced in some parts of, of the earth. And there it is, in some cases, hard to disrupt because it serves a number of functions and man desires to have this power and this wealth and this status. It is true that a wife and children are a blessing from God, uh, but a man in his greed desires to seize more than God has allotted to him, more than God has designed for him. Uh, And so it is both lust and greed that is often behind this practice. Now, it might seem like a vain thing to talk about in America. This is illegal. Um, But it's an increasing number of Americans deem polygamy morally acceptable. Back, way back in 2006, you know, ages ago, uh, 5% of Americans thought polygamy was morally acceptable. But now in 2020, 20% of Americans think polygamy is morally acceptable. Uh, That is one-fifth. That is uh, an increasing number in, what, 15, 14 years? As God's design for marriage is being attacked on other fronts, the barriers to polygamy are being broken down. If we abandon God's design as the standard for marriage, it is little that is remaining to prevent uh, this barrier from standing. But Scripture establishes this standard. It's true, a number of saints in the Old Testament, um, perhaps not as many as we might think, that just they happen to be very prominent in Scripture, but a number of saints in the Old Testament practiced polygamy. You can think of David or Solomon, for example. But the Old Testament itself, while recording that, also testified uh, against such a practice in several ways. First of all, it described God's original design for marriage in Genesis chapter 2. Second, here, in this passage, it describes the origin of polygamy in a man that we would not want to imitate, uh, the rebellion of Lamech, who seized what he wanted, who was a man of violence and pride, and here took two wives. It also... uh, consistently portrays polygamy as an evil in its historical accounts, that man might seek to seize the power for himself, but it ends up working very poorly with rivalry and envy and jealousy and leading faithful men astray as Solomon. Uh, It also testifies against it by laws that forbade most of the instances it portrayed, Uh, For example, kings specifically were told not to multiply wives for themselves. And who are the main people that practice polygamy in the Bible? It it was kings, the people that were powerful enough to do so. And they explicitly were forbidden from doing so. Uh, Also, Leviticus 18.18, at the very least, uh, condemns taking two sisters as wives, which is what Jacob did. And that is forbidden explicitly in Leviticus 18.18. And some people even argue that it... um, forbids polygamy altogether. And then finally, there's passages like the Song of Songs, which present monogamous marriage as the ideal, uh, sometimes even setting it in contrast to the practice of polygamy. So scripture is not silent on this. Uh, It uh, testifies to God's design. 
Um, and we find that among other places here in our passage. Uh, Lamech and the city of man, driven by lust and pride. Polygamy is off limits. It's good that it is illegal in America, but even if it were legal, it would still be wrong to create a polygamous marriage. Of course, today in our society, the more common perversion is to go from spouse to spouse, uh, to divorce them without cause and to simply go on to the next one. That is also uh, a perversion of God's design. Or even to not marry at all, and simply to go from one sexual partner to another. Uh, Greed and selfishness and discontentment continue to abide in the human heart and wage wars in many ways against God's design for humanity. So reject these ways of the city of man. Do not live like Lamech. They are sinful. They cause strife and bitterness and heartache. It is better to trust the Lord, uh, to trust his provision in time, to trust his design. That's true for marriage. That's true for every area of life, Um, to uh, trust the Lord. With respect to marriage, be faithful and loyal to your one spouse. Be grateful for the fact that your spouse belongs to you alone and not to another. Uh, If you are married, uh, that you belong to your spouse. It is a blessing to have your own husband or wife, uh, your very own. Work to create more positive experiences with your spouse, expressing love and help and kindness to make that relation a joy, that you might delight in one another and find patience and faithfulness and gratitude a rather easy and natural thing. As uh, Puritan Thomas Watson pointed out, it is not having a wife, but loving a wife that makes a man live chastely. So reject the ways of the city of man. In this case, we find another instance of the way the city of man lives in verses 23 through 24. The song of Lamech, in which we find unlawful violence and proud boasting. Do away with unlawful violence, the fruit of pride and anger, the legacy of Cain borne on by his descendants. Lamech killed a young man for striking him. Is that just? No, (laughs) that is not just. Uh, It is vengeful and cruel. And if he makes any doubt, if if there's any doubt whether that was right or not, he makes it pretty plain. His vengeance is greater than God's. If God is going to avenge Cain sevenfold, I'm going to avenge myself seventy-sevenfold. See how strong and powerful I am. Don't you dare touch me or I'm going to clobber you. Lamech followed in the way of Cain, and soon the whole world would follow. As the days of the flood approached, the whole earth was what? Filled with violence. The ways of Cain would continue in the way of his descendants and those who aligned themselves with him. Under God's law, more broadly speaking, violence can be used in necessary defense, in lawful war, and in public justice, you know, punishment, just punishments for crimes. In some cases, violence is a duty. But in self-defense, in war, in justice, the violence must be proportionate to the danger or to the crime. You know, uh, and that is not what Lamech does here. A real offense can easily become a pretense for unlawful violence, whether it's two kids fighting, you know, 
he flicked me, so I punched him. And uh, Okay, he shouldn't have done that, but you shouldn't have done that either. Or whether it's two nations. In the city of man, violence feeds off violence. Evil is returned for evil, and it is an escalating struggle for preeminence and power. Individuals and nations both must not be quick to anger, must seek peace if possible, must only use violence with just cause, and then exercise such violence in that cause justly. And that's kind of the beginning of just war theory, but it's really just an extension of God's law for people as well, to seek justice and, and peace. So lay aside bitterness and anger. Uh, Beware your own passions, which can be quickly inflamed by the sins and offenses of others and cause you to commit the same sins and errors. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That might be an understatement. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Or as Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So be sober-minded, self-controlled, stable, so that you might be merciful and just. Not beasts that bite and devour your fellow man. Not like Lamech. And Lamech didn't only commit such violence, but he also boasted of it. So he outdoes Cain in this respect. Cain wanted to hide his sin. He shouldn't have lied, but he at least was somewhat ashamed of what he had done to Abel. But Lamech boasts of it and wants everyone to know, listen to me, my wives, I have killed this young man for wounding me. And not only did he boast, but he exalted his vengeance above God's. Cain's vengeance, first of all, was enforced by God, um, and and Lamech takes this into his own hands. But then he also seeks to outdo God. My vengeance will be 77-fold. And so the city of man is formed, like I said, by the love of self. And and greed is one side of this, which we found in polygamy. Uh, Pride is the other side of this. And that is a rebellious pride which glories in its shame, which rebels against God and then boasts of such proud rebellion. Do you ever see that today? People boasting in pride and uh, in, in things that are sinful? That is one way man seeks to suppress his guilt and to justify himself and find justification through the praise of man. So do not exalt yourself. Do not look to man to justify yourself. Look to God. Do not praise your own name. Let another praise you. Certainly do not praise your sinful deeds. Cast away the pride of the world, the vainglory of the city of man. Do not boast in your strength or skill. What do you have that you have not received? So the city of man is formed by greed and pride. So flee from that city of man and destroy its ways within you. The second point I want to bring out is something I just skipped over in verses 20 through 22. Appreciate the natural gifts God has distributed among all mankind. What I mean by natural gifts is that these are not uh, parts of salvation. They're not uh, gifts of the spirit that he gives to his saints But there are gifts respecting skills in this world and taking dominion of the earth that he's given not only to believers, but also to unbelievers. 
Verses 20 through 22 describe how the sons of Lamech pioneered the development of human culture. They were founding fathers of livestock. Uh, They were founding fathers of music. They were founding fathers of blacksmithing, creating tools, perhaps weapons as well. Ungodly people can produce good things. They can even be more culturally advanced than Christians at times. Uh, There's no remark here about the cultural achievements of the people of Seth. Uh, No doubt they did some things, but the father of those who uh, play the lyre in the pipe was found among the children of Lamech. And so these things were good things. They're ways to take dominion of the earth. Um, And as God's image, you too should develop the arts, the sciences, the crafts in accordance with your calling. The use of these things by unbelievers is often uh, corrupted by sin. Uh, They uh, are still uh, driven by uh, sin and uh, enmity towards God and so misuse his gifts. Consider how Lamech uh, shows skill in poetry. Uh, you know, he's, he's using some of the gifts God gave man. Adam used it to praise his wife, but he uses it to express his rebellion. But the poetry itself is, you know, a good thing, but it fueled and served human pride. And so man remains displeasing to God in all their works, even if they might show some skills that are good. Uh, but the wisdom and skill itself is a gift from God. The ability man has to take dominion of the earth comes from God, and God leaves it to man. He doesn't make us beasts. He could have taken away our speech. He could have taken away our sight. Uh, But for the most part, he gives these gifts still, even to those who hate him. The very mouths they used to speak against him, he gave them that ability. And so they are left to God by God's mercy. And we find in Scripture that the wealth and the glory of the nations is destined for the city of God. The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. That's what Ecclesiastes 2.26 says. Haggai speaks of how the glory of the nations will come to the temple of God and the house of God. Revelation shares the same vision, especially as the nations are converted. And they bring themselves and their skills not to serve sin, but now to serve God. Think of how the nations outside of Israel made advances in the study of logic and the study of medicine, the study of mathematics, a study of a certain civic virtue. Um, they did not save those people. Uh, they were serving human pride. But they were cultural riches which were inherited by Christendom, especially as those peoples then came to Christ and could use them to God's glory. So Christians are called to gratefully use what God has provided through the work of unbelievers, to not despise his gifts. Um, Don't despise them just because they are found in the hand of unbelievers. At the same time, Christians are called to reject and and correct the distortions that they have brought, uh, distortions of error and sin, to show discernment. Uh, Revelation 21 says that the nations will bring into the city of God the glory and honor of the nations. But then it adds, but nothing unclean will enter it recognizing that they have been stained and made unclean, that they will need to be purified. Think of how the Israelites plundered the Egyptians. They benefited from from the cultural advancement and skill of Egypt um, as they went into the wilderness, uh, and God told them to. But they then used some of that 
oh, glory and the riches to build a golden calf and imitate Egypt. It did not show discernment. But some of that gold was later used to build the tabernacle, which was also artfully constructed and built to the glory of God. Or think of how Solomon used the riches and skills of the nations to build the temple. That was a good thing. But then he also showed a lack of discernment by bringing in pagan wives and idols from the nations, which led to his downfall. And so uh, appreciate the gifts of the nations, the work that has been done through God's mercy and gift, and show discernment in how now to use that to God's glory rather than to bring in the pride and greed and lust and rebellion of the city of man. In addition, call the peoples to serve the God who made them, who gifted them with such skills and blessings. Where did these things come from? What have you have that you have not received as a gift? These cultural gifts witness to and against those who live in rebellion and who use them against their maker. Unbelievers depend upon God, even presupposing and assuming things that are only true in a biblical worldview as they launch their attacks against God. And so uh, call them to account. Bring these things to their mind that they might turn to the Lord. So that is what we need to remember when we read here of uh, the culture of those who are in the city of man, in the household of Lamech. But also to remember that as much as the city of man may prosper and enjoy cultural wealth, that those things are ultimately vain and not as important as what the people of Seth have, which is a treasure, which is uh, God. That they have communion with God and they call upon him. And ultimately, if everything else is left and you are stripped of all your cultural wealth, that that is the essential thing that matters in your true and lasting glory. And so let us turn then to the city of God and its ways. And that is in the final two verses, verses 25 through 26. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. The city of God is called out from among the city of man. God makes this people. As Peter says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. He creates and constitutes this people. He makes this people a city on a hill, a light amid darkness, a holy nation, a distinct people marked by distinct ways. The city of man was formed by the love of self to the contempt of God. The city of God is formed by the love of God to the contempt of self. The city of God is produced by God's grace. His word and spirit brings the heart to salvation, to take hold of Christ by faith. And so it rests upon God's salvation. It calls upon the name of the Lord. He is their strength and shield. He is their rock and refuge, their mighty fortress. Therefore, the city of God boasts in the Lord. It is devoted to the Lord and his glory. The strength it receives is the gift to be used in love. The core identity of the city of God is found here. That is the people who begin to call upon the name of the Lord. Lamech boasted of his might. The people of Seth boasted in the name of the Lord. 
More particularly here, what do I mean by the city of God? I mean the church. The church is the city of God, the community of the saints, the society of those who profess faith and obedience in God and of their children. This is the city of God on earth, which is bound for glory, uh, that is going to be purified uh, by the Lord. The church glorifies God. That is its goal. That is its mission, not to be devoted to its own glory, to the self, but rather to God. The church does that by its worship. That's what you're doing here, uh, listening to God's word and pre- uh, singing and, and praying, uh, manifesting this honor to him. The church honors him by its witness in word and deed, proclaiming his excellencies, having called them out of darkness into light. The church glorifies God by its walk, by its good deeds in the sight of the nations. That's what Jesus said, right? The light of the world, so let your good works shine before men. Not as if you're seeking their praise, he speaks against that, but rather simply walking a godly life, uh, doing what is honorable and good. You all are the city of God. Each one of you is called to contribute to this mission by your worship, by your witness, by your walk. Whether from the youngest to the oldest, we all have a part to play in the city. It is for each one of you to call upon the name of the Lord and to make his name great. God has given his city officers to visibly lead and govern it, to keep it on task, but not to do all of its work for it. Um, It's not just my mission to do these things. It is for each one of you. We are bound together in the communion of saints as one body, which is Christ as the head. The body functions when each joint and ligament and organ works together. And that is speaking of each one of you, uh, that we are all part of this work. You need your brothers and sisters. They need you. We are a city bound together. Each one of you has a part to play in advancing Christ's kingdom, in fostering the worship of God, and building up the saints unto holiness and endurance, and ministering to their physical needs. The glory of God grows dim when the coals of the saints are spread apart. What happens when you spread apart the coals in a fire? They die out. They, they dim. They turn to ash. When you bring them together, at least they last longer and brighter, and so the glory shines. When his body works together and is strengthening each other and speaking the truth in love and encouraging one another, as we provoke one another to love, to good deeds, and to the glory of God. Think of this. The city of man, it's driven by the love of self. And what does that do to the city? It pits everyone against each other. They, they uh, fight for preeminence and glory. But the city of God finds unity because its work is to exalt the Lord. And we all have a part to play together in that work. And so the church is the city of God. And the church, the city of God, is not separate from all the other cities. We're not called to go and form our own city. You know, the city of God, north of Wentzville, you know, 10 miles, you know, there we'll plant it and have our own city. No, the members of God's city participate in earthly cities um, as leaven within bread, restoring those cultures to its proper functioning under God. The vision we have in Scripture, and I mean literally a vision, like John saw or Isaiah saw, 
the vision we have is that the city of God provides light to the nations so that they will walk in its light, that the nations would bring their glory into the city, that they would receive instruction and the healing there. The tree of life is leaves for the healing of the nations, that they would learn his ways and walk in their paths and, uh, and find that God reigns among them. God's city is to be a, a blessing to the nations. And that God's city is great because God dwells in the midst of it. In the midst of the city is the tree of life, which is Jesus Christ himself. From the city flow living waters of the Holy Spirit. God saves his city and he will preserve it. Jesus is the glory of the city and the source of its life. Those who call upon the Lord will not be put to shame. Those who humble themselves before him will be exalted. Despite the present prosperity of the city of man, it will fall again and again, while the city of God will rise and endure. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And so, abandon the city of man, its rebellious ways, it is doomed to fail. Appreciate the natural gifts that God has given to all mankind, and unite with the city of God and its godly ways. Fallen man is building his city, but God is also building his city, and by his grace. Even if his city, God's city, should seem to fall into disrepair because of apostasy of those leaving it, or of persecution and killing of it, it that might appear to be the case at times, uh, as when Cain killed Abel, yet it shall rise again and again and grow and maintain itself by God's grace as Christ builds his church. I will build my church, he said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The city of God is everlasting and it's bound for glory. So see to it that you have an abiding place in it. Your name is written in heaven and registered as a citizen of the city of God. Do so by calling upon the name of the Lord, for that is the mark of all true citizens of this city. To the Lord be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for your redemption that you have displayed in the sight of all the nations by setting up your kingdom through your Son, Jesus Christ, giving him all authority on heaven and on earth. We pray that you would extend his kingdom, that your city might be established and flourish here on earth, even as it does in heaven, as the angels and the saints made perfect, uh, who dwell before you in worship and honor, uh, that you would likewise manifest your glory and your grace here on earth, that we might worship you and make your name great among the nations, to offer you a sacrifice which is uh, befitting of your glory, a sacrifice of uh, praise, uh, living sacrifices of ourselves. We pray that you would manifest your glory through converting the lost and bringing them to salvation. We pray that you would manifest your glory by subduing the hearts of believers and ruling in our hearts that we might humble ourselves before you. 
that you would teach us your ways, that we might walk in your paths. We pray that you would raise up your church to, uh, to build up the, uh, the ruins, the places where it has fallen, uh, that you would make it visible and strengthened uh, by every joint with which it is equipped. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.